Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 692 of the podcast and it is Thursday 11th of May 2023 as I record this. In today's in between episode, I interview Stephen Marsh about how he co-wrote Death of an Author with AI Tools. We talk about which tools Stephen used and how he used them, the importance of specificity in prompting and why those who know what they want and have experience with writing have an advantage, why the intellectual process of writing is more important than the mechanical process, why co-creating with AI is like being a hip-hop producer on various things on copyright, and how authors might approach co-creating with AI if you want to work with traditional publishers, plus what remains the same despite advances in technology. So I love Stephen's attitude about intentionality and authorship over the mechanics of text generation, which I, I really like that idea. And I also enjoy his creative confidence as he says, I'm just going to make this stuff and see where it goes. And that's how I feel. I want to stop talking about it and get on and do it. I will still be talking about it, obviously, but I'll also be getting on and doing it. What's also funny is that when I started the introduction (laughs) and initially he thought perhaps he was chatting with a robot. We were audio only and I have this podcast voice I used to do the introduction that you will obviously hear. And uh, he was a bit confused. So I left that in. I asked his permission if I could leave his confusion in as it's pretty instructive that he questions whether he's talking to a robot. I could have a voice double at this point, but until I tell you otherwise, this podcast is all human, Joanna Penn. So this episode is sponsored by my wonderful patrons on patreon.com forward slash the creative pen. And someone commented recently that I read out lots of names each week, so I must have just gazillions of patrons. But I should point out that lots of people also leave. (laughs) So I just don't read out the names that leave every week. That would be a bit mean, wouldn't it? But the numbers have stayed pretty steady over the last few years. So thank you to all the new patrons and everyone who's been supporting the show for years and months. And of course, Patreon enables you to go in and out of supporting people. So I absolutely appreciate if you pop in, support it and go out in and out as much as you like. If you support the show, you get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only, which I sent out this week as I record this. And there were lots of questions on AI as well as on writing and publishing and marketing. And you can support the show for just a couple of dollars or euros or pounds. And you will get that Q&A audio and indeed all the backlist so you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Stephen Marsh is a Canadian novelist and journalist. He's also the creator of Death of an Author by Aidan Marchine, a novella written 95% by, by AI Tools, out now from Pushkin Industries. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Hi, how are you? 
I am good. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and your writing background and how you came to become interested in AI. Well, um, am I speaking to a robot at this moment? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Okay. I just had a sudden sense that I was. I don't know why. I just had this, I read the trick was being played on me, but like I, I've become more <laughs> skeptical of these things all the time. I, I mean, I started like I've been writing my whole life and I've written novels and so on. But the beginning of AI writing for me was actually a piece I wrote in 2012 for LA Review of Books, which was against digital humanities. And, you know, as I was sort of critiquing digital humanities, which I still, I mean, I don't think I changed that critique at all. I started to notice some cool things that were happening, some really cool things that were happening. And I became very interested in them and very fascinated with them, particularly with at that point, it was programming around R and it was analytics mainly. But then in 2017, I wrote an algorithmic story for Wired. Like we use computer models to gen, we created our own program, Sci-Fi Cube, me and a computer scientist to make that. Then with the birth of the Transformer, of course, which changed everything in this field, I began to work on other aspects of it. I wrote a 17% computer generated horror story for the LA Review of Books and I think it was 2020, and then an auto-tune love story, which where I used Cohere to build these bots to create stylistic bots that then would each generate one sentence of a love story, and I published that in LitHub a couple of years ago now. But then when Jacob came to me with the death of an author idea, it was, of course, just a completely different scale of things, and, and I was fascinated with what it could do, and it was sort of a, a much broader project than any AI fiction I'd ever worked on before. Wow. So you've been involved in this for over a decade now. But of course, as you said, things have changed. And it does also sound you're quite technical, like our programming and things like that. So most people listening are authors and writers, but they're not very technical. So I wondered whether you could explain how you did co-create Death of an Author with AI tools that I don't think are so technical anymore. Well, I mean, I would say that, like, I'm not technical like that. I mean, that would be a gross exaggeration of my abilities. I mean, I did learn to program in R briefly. Like, I mean, to say that I can program in R is like saying if you can plunk out Mary had a little lamb on the piano, you know how to play the piano. Like I knew I did it just enough to know what it involved, right? And I, I would not say that I have major technical facility in this stuff at all. But Death of an Author, I did have access to three technologies really that I had used before and which I use. So one was ChatGPT, um, the big one that everyone talks about and which really has sparked the interest in this, right? Like before ChatGPT, I had a great deal of trouble selling articles and essays about AI to publications. They just weren't interested, right? After ChatGPT, it has since become like the most important story in the world really. But so I used ChatGPT to, and I used it to create very specific blocks of text. Then I would take those blocks into PseudoWrite, which is a stochastic writing instrument. Do you know that? Do you know PseudoWrite? Have you ever used it? Yes, absolutely. And Armit's been on the show. So yeah. Oh, and Armit's been on the show. 
Right. So I've used them before to do things. I wrote a piece about them for the New Yorker. And so I used that. I used the shorten button, the add detail button, and I used the customize button a lot to reshape the text. I mean, almost everything was in that process. I tried other large language models. Like I tried character.ai and I tried a bunch of other ones because people were sending me like, come check out our stuff because I'd been writing about it. And I really didn't find anything comparable to that except for Cohere. Cohere is a nat- is a large language model out of Canada. I've done other critical and creative work with them before, and they I used a different system for them. I used I created prompts and then I trained those prompts and then I got the prompts to generate images. So like because I wanted the book to have good lines in it, like really like lines that really stood out. Because ChatGPT is not as good at that. ChatGPT is good at creating functional prose but for like real beauty which you want in a novel i felt i needed other techniques and cohere was really that all the good lines in the book come from cohere well i I think that's fascinating so just coming back to chat gpt because a lot of people listening have tried it and they're finding that they can't even really create blocks of functional prose and mainly because they don't really know how to prompt even at the beginning they might say write me a novel about a guy in a dungeon or whatever. And so they're just writing one line or two lines. So can you maybe tell us how you would start someone or how you started prompting to just create those functional blocks? Well, the key is to be incredibly specific about what you want, right? Like to the level, the thing that's fascinating about writing prompts for writing is that you have to actually understand what you want, which I mean, very few people do when they set out to write a novel, right? So it would literally be write a paragraph in a mixture of simple and compound complex sentences with variable lengths between the sentences in the style of, you know, and then maybe five or six adjectives to describe the style containing the following information, colon, and then the information. And then it would generate something that was unwieldy. And then you would take it into pseudo write and use that to change it and alter it till you got to something interesting. So much like the prompts for uh, text to image, you have like the longer the prompt, the better the reaction. But the prompts in literature have to be incredibly specific about syntax and grammar and substance and style, like very, very specific. I mean, to me, that's what I got. Other people have had different experiences, I'm sure. But that to me is the key. Hmm. Whereas the Cohere system where you hmm. train it on prompts actually doesn't require that same level of control. I mean, it does when you create the prompt, but if you train it on like 15 examples of great images, it does produce great images, which is another method. And when you say images, you mean like metaphorical images for it to come up with text yeah yeah so so just coming back to chat gpt because i've written like nearly 20 novels and so i actually asked it to write in my voice uh, as me as my fiction voice and it actually did a really good job so i wondered given you've written you've written kind of different types of books though haven't you really your style is kind of a different places but did you even try prompting it as you no i mean i'm a very incoherent personality Right. Like, I mean, my books are just really, really different from each other and like they're incoherent, basically. There's no there's nothing I would say that I I could identify as specifically mine. Right. And also I'm writing in a particular genre. Right. Like the murder mystery. And that requires like a different approach than one 
one that I would use to write, say, the piece about the coronation that I just wrote for The Guardian, or the novel that I wrote that was about werewolves and billionaires. Like, there's a completely separate approach. Also, I think when you're using this technology to write, you have to understand the limitations and run into the limitations, right? I mean, just th that's true of every literary form. But in this case, there are certain things that ChatGPT is good at, and there are certain things it's really bad at. And you want to not do the bad things and go towards the good things. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm co-writing a horror novel at the moment with GPT-4. And it's interesting because I'm doing a lot of editing, as you mentioned, that the prose is not what exactly what I want. And I wondered how right. whether you found that it just wasn't any faster in fact was it a slower process because uh, some people say oh it's going to make people go a lot faster but I wonder with fiction actually it might be a slower process but a more interesting one well I think this is still being I don't nothing is slower or faster right I mean people thought that having a computer would make it more able to write faster, right? We no longer have to handwrite things and then have them typeset, but it's the intellectual process that's the effort here, not the mechanical pro mechanical processes that are at work. So no, I, I don't think it's any easier. I mean, this is why the discussions about the WGA being like, this is going to replace screenwriters. I'm like, who are you kidding? Like, do you think, if you think an executive could just go to ChatGPT and say, write me John Wick 5? Well, that's a bad example because John Wick 5 is pretty... Uh, the same know, as John Wick 4. <laughs> yeah, well, John Wick 4 is like, it easily could have been written by a machine, right? I mean, like there's no life in it whatsoever. But like the idea that they're going to be able to do that is just totally ludicrous. Anyone who's used this machine for 10 minutes knows that, mm. right? So I think what the real question here is what can it do that people can't do? Because you have to remember, like the world is already full of overproduction of texts. Right. It's not like we need to automate the process of writing fiction. Like the question is, what can this process do that nothing else can do? And that's a really interesting question to ask. Or address our own limitations or just help us have more ideas. I mean, I find it just gives me loads of ideas in different directions. And it really is like co-writing there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Did you kind of feel that? Well, I felt like there were, you know, it was interesting because there was a balance between like control and that I mean, I guess how I thought of it was like the alien speaking. Like I got the alien to talk. Like that's how I sort of feel about this tech, right? Is that I got an alien to write a novella. Um, and the point where I felt the alien meant something, I thought those moments were extraordinary to me. Like very aesthetically powerful. Where because most of it is just me controlling this machine, right? And when it created things that I would never have thought of when it created images that I found beautiful, even though no human being had ever written them, there was a kind of, I don't know, I mean, the word majesty occurs to me. There was something awesome about it, like in the old sense, like you just felt in contact with some larger force, if you will. And I think that's very exciting to me, although what ChatGPT to me can do so well is it can imitate voices. Right. And like, I think if I were to think of like a project that would naturally be written by AI, it would be something like Dracula, where it, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where it's a collection of documents, right, where it's a collection of ships, logs and letters and letters from lawyers and all these incredible formulaic forms that contain different information. In it. it is unbelievable at imitating voices, right, at imitating formulaic forms of language so and that it can do better than any human being 
there's no writer alive who can get as precise as it can in its imitations of modes of speech. You know, the very first time my aha moment with this technology was when I got pseudo right and I asked it to finish Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and it created a completely believable conclusion to, you know, insanity to Kubla Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree, that famous unfinished poem by Coleridge, like it was able to do that in a completely coherent way, right? So, I mean, I think actually Lost Texts is another, particularly like the unfinished Austin books and unfinished P.G. Woodhouse books, where there are very clear stylistic parameters. I absolutely think this technology is going to be used to do that. And then, I mean, you've mentioned beauty a couple of times and awe, and some some people are saying, oh, well, we'll be able to, or readers will be able to tell when something's written with AI. What do you think about that? Will people be able to tell? Will they care? I I mean, I, I think, I would hope that some of it they would know and they would recognize and that, and they would be okay with it. But the truth is like, do you know that a text is spell checked? Like, I guess you do. But most of the time, you just forget about it. There's a famous thing about CGI in movies where it's like, oh, CGI is so bad. But of course, the CGI that's bad is the CGI that you notice, right? And then it does look bad. But actually, like 95% of the time, you're using CGI and nobody notices it. And right, and it creates effects that could never be gotten with just a camera. So, I mean, this is just another tool. And once the once we get over this fear spiral that we're in, which we are in a basically a panic spiral about AI right now, like we will start to realize like this is a tool. It's not going to replace anyone like just the same way that Photoshop did not replace designers. In fact, it just accentuated the capacity for designers to to create. We're going to realize that this is neither as scary as we think, nor as crazily transformative as we think. But it does change the job. I think that's the thing. I mean, the definition of a writer has been outputting text in a certain direction. But if these tools can, well, they can output text. And we're, do we play more of a director role or like an orchestral role, I guess, directing the orchestra of these tools rather than the making words role? Well, it's curatorial, right? I mean, that's how I think of it, right? Like it requires a familiar like when i was using this the reason i was able to use it so effectively is because i did a phd and i know that they made me do my special fields examination and they made me read everything in major in english literature from 900 ad on and so i know the history of style and i know how things stylistically work so when i go to pseudo write i can say okay i want this to sound like dickens and then filtered through ernest hemingway and then you get to something that might actually be good Right. So the closest analog I come to is hip hop producer, where they're like they have this enormous familiarity with popular music and this scholarship ultimately around popular music. And they use that in ways to recombine and reconfigure the music in a way that is pleasurable to people. Right. And in a sense, like it is a different task, like you're not playing the guitar anymore. Instead, you're using a Moog or whatever. But on the other hand, like The end result, like an author is an outputter of texts, that's for sure true, but an editor is also massively the editor of their own texts. Like the difference between a great writer and a good writer is not necessarily what they output, but what they cut and what they know is bad and recognizing what's good when you see it. And that is totally unchanged in this process, as you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. So coming to the book, you have this great afterword, which I highly recommend everyone read after the story. And in it, you say, I am its author legally, but a machine Mm. wrote it based on my instructions. So this idea of legal author, I mean, the aspects of copyright are very difficult with the legality of training data set, fair use, plagiarism. So I know you get this question all the time, but what should people be feeling about this? Like, should they not do anything until all the legal cases are settled or what do you think well i really don't know i mean i think we're in a really new state here where it's going to be worked out ultimately i think i am the creator of this work and i have a moral right to it. like and everyone understands that certainly the people at pushkin understand that the legal dimensions of it are really strange and have yet to be worked out but i'm just a writer like i'm just gonna go do what i want to do and pick up the pieces after the fact and that's my strategy so it is a, a totally gray area right now although i mean i think you've read death of an author like no one else mm. is entitled to that work other than me mm. right like everyone knows it like i made it Right. And so ultimately, that's going to be recognized on some level. And the people who say, like, it's plagiarism and it's stolen and it's like they don't know what they're talking about. Like they haven't used this tech for five minutes and and they're just, you know, they're just wrong. So I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, it isn't a very confusing moment. On the other hand, the new technologies always bring with them new complicated realities. I mean, it took a long time for people to figure out who owned a photograph. Right. And like, was it the person whose photograph was taken or the taker of the photo? You know, so I I don't know. It's all going to be worked out in the future by other people than me. But I'm not particularly worried about at least the intellectual realities of it. I like that you say I made it. And and that is absolutely right. And of course, if you compare the finished product with any other finished product, you can see that it's not plagiarized. And so I think many authors think that these tools are some kind of database where lots of things have been put into it. And when you're writing, it pulls out exactly the words that other people have written. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of a misunderstanding of how the technology works, isn't it? it? It doesn't work that way. Well, I mean, technically, that is how it works. But the truth is that it's, you know, pro- I mean, we don't know how many parameters there are in GPT-4. We know that GPT-3 had 175 billion. So, I mean, when you use Palm, it has 540 billion parameters. Let's take that as a start. That's more variety. Like that's a level of transformation that is literally inconceivable to the human mind. So, I mean, anytime a human says something, it has been said before. Like the sentence I just said, somebody has said it has been said before, but that doesn't mean it's not mine, right? That doesn't mean I didn't create it. Right. These debates around it are, I think they're written out of fear that people think this is going to replace writers. And I mean, it just isn't like, it's just not like the idea that this is going to replace the considered judgment of language that you're going to be able to, what this is going to really replace is rote linguistic tasks. So if you have to write a letter of recommendation from a professor for a student, I don't know why you wouldn't use ChatGPT. It's just does it so much better and all that's entirely a formula to start with right like so it fulfills the terms of that formula the human intentionality is what we register through language and that's not going anywhere like this the work that i want people to read death of an author this is very much a work of my intentionality no one else could have done it no one else 
would have done it, right? So the mere means of application are not necessarily even that relevant. Absolutely. But it's interesting. And I obviously, I agree with you. And I've already also published a short story co-written with GPT-3. But what's so interesting about what you've done is you, it's been published by a publisher. And so this is kind of the next question, which is a lot of authors who work with traditional publishing don't know what to do because they've signed contracts or they are going to sign contracts that maybe traditional publishers won't accept work where there's AI involved. So how do you think authors should approach this idea of the publishing industry with co-writing with AI? Well, I mean, this is not informed advice. Like, <laughs> It's not like I really understand the legalities of this, but I would say make sure you get yours, right? First of all, be clear. Like, You should be very clear with any publisher that you deal with that you're using this technology and make sure that they're okay with it. And if they're not, then you shouldn't use it. But I actually think the specifics of how this is going to be used are really, like if you're using this to write say like a historical biography of somebody and you just like randomly put it into chat GPT and have it cough it out and then don't edit it, it's going to be poor and everyone's going to know it. Right. And that's not what you should be doing anyway. So I don't know. I mean, that's such a non-answer I know, but like, obviously be honest. Also, if you're using chat GPT in a way that is creating meaningful work that only you could create, which is the only kind of work that I'm interested in, then you should be paid for it. You should have a right to it. Yeah. And I certainly agree with that. And I mean, you mentioned the fear spiral and the panic spiral. I mean, how long will it take to dissipate? I mean, in a way, we had a, a similar thing like over a decade ago with ebooks and all the yeah. internet kind of disrupting publishing, but eventually it was embraced. So will this be the same? Do you think it'll just take a couple of years to settle down? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the doomerism really is, it's just such a human response. Like first there's greed, then there's fear, and then there's fear, and then there's greed. Like, I have a piece coming out in The Guardian about this pretty soon. I think the fear will probably dominate for a while. But on the other hand, I'm just going to make this stuff and see where it goes. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are people doing this work, and there was a lot of fear of photography. And there was a lot of fear of hip-hop. It took Hip-hop practitioners took a long time before they were considered serious artists right? And, and Or even artists at all. And the same thing is true of, of photography. And at the same, but that was real. Like that created something beautiful. So I don't know. I mean, the discourse has gone completely off the rails, I think. But on the other hand, I have hope. You know, I'm not a super hopeful person. I, no one's ever accused me of being an optimist before. But I also think as this stuff gets used, the, like one thing about the hype machine around AI is that it uses doom as a promotional mechanism. Right. Like they, t Silicon Valley does this all the time. Like crypto is going to end central banks. We should prepare for a world where governments don't control the flow of money. Well, actually, no. Like, actually, that's nonsense. Right. And like the work is going to end commercial real estate. And it's like, actually, we were didn't end commercial real estate. Like Zoom ended commercial real estate. Or, I mean, there's a million examples of this kind of hype. And around AI, I've I've been reporting on this stuff basically since 2017, and I've heard that the trucking industry was going to disappear, that China was in possession of a trillion parameter large language system, that had shown superhuman abilities. And I really have come to a place where I have two rules. One is, 
if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Like I don't believe it until I see it. And the second rule is when I see it, I believe it. So if it does something, I want to see what I can use it to do. And that's my only way of staying sane. I mean, that's the only way I can stay sane with this stuff because there's just so much hype and nonsense. Yeah. And I mean, I say on this podcast often, please go and try it before you leave a comment saying that it's all ridiculous and useless. I know. (laughs) It's not even that hard to try anymore, is it? No. I mean, well, you can just go to chat. It's not complicated to use. And I mean, I think five minutes after using it, you sense, okay, wonderful things are afoot, like really crazy things are possible with this, but it's not a superhuman consciousness. You don't feel bad turning it off. Like it's a tool, <laughs> like like a pocket calculator or a thesaurus, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, I, I just find like, and it's a hugely powerful tool and p- potentially transformative, but yeah, I find that I find the doomerism just exhausting and pointless. Yeah, no, me too. And in your afterword, you do say creative AI is going to change everything. It's also going to change nothing. So you right. have mentioned, I guess, a few things that won't change in that the humans will still be needed. What else will remain constant? Because of course, we're only at the beginning, these tools will become more powerful, but what will remain constant? Oh, the, the understanding the value of something that's written the value of a good paragraph and a good sentence, the sense of an intended personality behind language. I mean, that's people go to language for a lot of reasons, but when they go to artistic language, like poesis, for lack of a better word, like they go there to feel a human being behind it. And that is absolutely not going to change. Like there, I mean, if you're looking for mechanized language, you can find that too. But I think one thing to remember is that all of this is at the service of human urges that are very foundational and which have not really changed since the Epic of Gilgamesh. To be recognized, to be seen to by people who are not with you, right? Mm. And to have your own soul explained to you. And none of that has changed. Like, I, I mean, I just don't think it's changed even one millimeter. It's interesting. I mean, the AI artists now, or the people using AI for art, have a new word, which is synthography. I wondered, Mm. uh, because you've mentioned art and beauty, do you think we will move towards a new art form in this way? And do we need another word? Yeah, I mean, I I think we do need another word. What's the word they're using? Synthetic? Synthography, like photography, but synthography. Like synthography. That's not bad. I mean... Um, right now, I think we're still at the cannibalization stage of this art form. Like you're using it to write novels. I'm using it to write novels and short stories. The really interesting thing will be what it's actually used for, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because it took them a long time to figure out like what photography was for after it was invented, right? One of the things interesting about the printing press is that it almost took 200 years after the printing press for people to come up with the idea of using it to have a continuous narrative voice, which we think about now as like the defining feature of print. But that didn't happen until almost 200 years later, after the technological invention. So, you know, what this is actually for and what new forms it would be in, like, what is the true usage of a creative chatbot? We're still in a very primitive stage with that. And I think after we find out what that is, then we'll come up with a name for it. But yeah, the interesting work that's going to come out of this is going to be new. And it's actually probably going to be a bunch of new things. So it is interesting to see. 
Yeah, well, interesting times indeed. So where can people find Death of an Author as well as all your other books online? Um, well, you can just go to pushkin.com to get the audiobook, or I think you can buy it as an EPUB now on the website of Pushkin, uh, pushkin.fm. And just look up Death of an Author. And then all my other books are just wherever good bookshops, wherever you get your books. And yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Stephen. That was great. It was a pleasure. So I hope you found the discussion interesting. And that is it for my triple AI focused episodes for the moment, although I have more coming up in the months ahead as things progress. And I'll obviously keep doing the introductions as I do on the usual show. So I'd love to know what you think. Please leave a comment on the blog show notes or the YouTube channel or tweet me at the creative pen with a double N or email me joanna at the creative So next Monday, I'm discussing mental health for writers with Toby Neal. As Mental Health Awareness Week is the 15th to the 23rd of May, at least here in the UK, and the focus is on anxiety in particular, although we talk about lots of other things. And of course, please look after yourself and those you love. And it is important to talk about these things and be aware uh, that often we are not so much okay. (laughs) So that's coming up on Monday. In the meantime, happy writing. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.